so we're going to um, maybe not necessarily learn a lot from the two of them uh, over the next few weeks, but maybe at least enjoy uh, their banter. Uh, we are looking at the Ten Commandments uh, over the next few weeks. We're going to look and take each one. Um, and so I, I want to encourage you to, to bring your Bibles today. We're going to turn into Exodus chapter 32. And so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, and you may think that it's weird to, to kind of think about the Ten Commandments immediately after Easter, but I don't think that those two things are disconnected because Easter is about freedom of leaving the tomb and that we, we are free. And as followers of Christ, that freedom, I think the law is connected because the law helps us to understand how to live as people who are free. And so it really gives us uh, uh, guidelines to be able to, to live within that freedom. And so we're going to start looking at Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to read to you the first seven verses. It says, The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, All right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf, and the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate. The Lord spoke to Moses, hurry up and go down. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt are ruining everything. Now flip back, if you've got your Bibles open, flip back to Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 and 5. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever, of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, last week, what we looked at was we looked at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And what we looked at was uh, that the Jewish, that our Jewish brothers and sisters, they see in the early part of Exodus chapter 20, they, they see two commands. I am, I am Yahweh, your Lord, who brought you out of slavery. That is the first command, according to the Jewish brothers and sisters. And so when we look at the first command of you shall have no other gods before me, it, it would be their second commandment. And what I said to you was if you, if you understand Yahweh as the source of everything, it just makes natural sense that everything would come out of you would be gratitude and thankfulness. And so if we understand that, we should be people who are thankful and grateful. And so the first commandment is about priorities. Nothing is above God. Say that with me. Nothing is above God. Nothing is above God. That's the first commandment. And the truth is that God wants to be at the deepest center of your life. And if you allow God to be at the deepest center of your life, you are going to 
you're going to love more fully. You're going to sacrifice more willingly. You're going to um, be able to be more compassionate and merciful uh, to the people around you if you will allow God to be at the deepest center of your life. Now today what I want us to do is to follow this up and look at what the second commandment says to us. And we are following kind of a Wesleyan understanding. So I shared with you last week that uh, Catholic brothers and sisters and Lutheran, they see that what we're going to look at today as part of the first commandment. So uh, we, we keep this as a second commandment under Wesleyan way of thinking about it. But if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you might see this as part of the first commandment. But for us, at least, the second commandment is this. Do not make an idol for yourself. Do not make an idol for yourself. Now, when you hear this, or at least when I hear this, we probably think, okay, so this one, pretty good. In the ancient world, you know, they made figurines, they made statutes, and most of us probably knew not have figurines and statutes of different gods in our house. And so we are looking and going, okay, on this one, we're doing pretty good. But if we really stop and think about the context of this, I would say that it challenges us just as much as the other commandments do. In every ancient religion, there were they were polytheistic, so they understood there were lots of gods. Uh, in Egypt, they had 2,000 gods. There was a, 12, a group of 12 that were kind of the head of their pantheon of gods. Uh, if you look at the Canaanite religion, they had a multiplicity of gods. Uh, all of the religions had so many different gods. You only had, like Israel was this monotheistic group, but most everybody had gods. And, and, and the reality is what this tells me the reason that they had these is deep within us is a longing to want to see God, to touch God, to, to feel God. It's the reason that we struggle. How many times have you said probably this statement? If God would just give me a billboard, right? It, it, it's this tangible, I want, I want to know and feel and see God. And that's true for most everyone. And so the, the commandments forbid us to create images. Now, in Egypt, they had images that would show them stories of their gods. And so they would create them out of stone, they would create them out of wood, and then they would hand them over to a craftsman who would put silver or gold around them. And they became extensions of their gods and they would take these gods and they would place them in the temples and there would be a ritual that the priest would go through that would help infuse the presence of their god into these statues uh, it's literally it's called a washing of the mouth and they would literally for seven different ritual experiences that they would go through and they believed that in doing that that the god that they were talking to or the god that they were thinking about would literally be infused into the statue and so they would bathe the statue they would clothe the statue they would bring food offerings to the statue and people would have smaller versions in their homes and these would be called household gods and if the people if the priest wanted to take the god out to the people they would take that statue and they would carry it out in rods so that people could see god that they could they could experience this God that was in this statue. This is how it worked everywhere. And so 
in the fact that this has worked everywhere this way, Yahweh, who created everything, said to the people of Israel, I do not want you to do that with me. That's not how I want you to operate. You'll have a throne, and we understood that that was the Ark of the Covenant. You'll have a throne, and that throne will be in the Holy of Holies, just like it worked in so many different, but there's no statue on that throne. Can't you imagine the other religions when they looked at how the people of Israel were operating? You're carrying around a throne with nothing on it. How ludicrous that might be. But that's how God wants us to operate. That's how God wanted the people of Israel to operate. Now, the question is, how would you convey the image? How would you convey this image of God if you wanted to create an image that would celebrate the fact that God created everything? Yahweh says, do not make an idol for yourself. See, the question for me is, so why? What's what's the harm in creating something like that? The prophet spoke about this. So this is kind of your homework. If you want the extra homework, extra credit uh, this week would be is to go read Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 40 to Isaiah chapter 46. You get a passage of a series of texts where the prophet speaks to kind of what's the harm of this. And so I want to read just a a small little portion of this, if you will. Uh, It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. So to whom will you equate God? To what likeness will you compare him? I mean, are you going to, is it going to be a cat? Is it going to be a calf? Is it going to be a star? What is this likeness is the question. What's adequately going to represent Yahweh, the source of everything? Scripture says, so to whom will you equate God? To what likeness will you compare him? An idol? A craftsman pours it. A metal worker covers it with gold and fashions silver chains. So to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One. Listen to this in verse 26. Look up at the sky and consider Who created these? The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name. Don't you know, haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youth will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. If you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 44, God says, look, you're going to make idols out of stone. You're going to make them out of wood. You're going to have somebody that's going to put silver and gold around them. You know what's going to happen to them? They're going to be heavy. And you're going to have to carry them around for people to be able to see. And so you're going to carry around this heavy object over and over and over again and God is saying look with me you don't carry me around I carry you you don't have to carry me around and have to be burdened by that because I from the moment you were created before you were created God says I will carry you I will carry you I will give you strength Stop carrying these things around that's trying to keep burdens on that because that's what's going to wear you out. That's what's going to cause you to be worried. 
Listen, one of the things I think, have, have y'all ever seen, have y'all, do y'all read? So, okay, so do, have you ever read a book? Well, I guess that's a question. I guess you got to start with, do y'all read? Have you ever read a book and then saw a movie that was made out of the book? Now, my guess would be, in almost every analogy breaks down somewhere, so don't come up afterward and tell me the one that this does not occur to, but in most instances, when you watch the movie, it pales in comparison to the book, right? It never, and I don't care how good the director is, I don't care how creative they can be, it's never as good as what you imagined it to be. Because in your head, you think certain things. I think that is God's point. How can you create an image? How can you create an object that is going to represent the source of everything? I remember in seminary, I took a class that was called the Images of Christ. And I mean, it blew me away because we looked through like different world views of what the image of Christ looks like and different cultural experiences of what the image of Christ looks like. And I realized how little I had ever thought about the image of Christ. I mean, I mean, I'd grown up in church most of my life, but I had such a small understanding of who Christ might be pales in comparison to the reality. I mean, I imagine Christ to be very welcoming. I I don't care what color you want to image Christ to be. White, black, green, it doesn't make a difference. I imagine Christ to be like gentle eyes, gentle spirit. But I don't know how you represent that. I picture Christ as with a smile of just, but again, how how, how do we we create an image that captures all of this? So God says, do not make an idol for yourself. So back to this story about the golden calf, right after God gives the Ten Commandments, Moses is on top of the mountains. He's been there for 40 days, 40 nights, and the people begin to get a little bit unsettled. And so they turn to Aaron, which is Moses' brother, and they say, now what's happened to Moses? Because we don't know if he's dead. We don't know if he went down the other side of the mountain and has abandoned us. So make us some gods we can see. Make us some gods we can feel. Make us some gods that are tangible for us, who can lead us. And so he says, okay, give me, give me your jewelry, and I'll make for you a calf. Just as a side note, you think about calf. Almost every ancient religion has some god that is represented by a calf. It typically either represents fertility or it represents power and strength. But I love this part of the story because Aaron makes this calf. And look at what it says in verse 4. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf, and the people declared, and the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine what God felt when they said that? I am Yahweh, your Lord, who brought you out of Egypt. And they declared that these are the gods who did that. The great thing is we don't have to imagine it because God turns to Moses. And look at what it says in verse 7. Hurry up and go down. You're a people. You can hear the frustration in his voice. 
Have you ever turned to your spouse, if you're married, have you ever turned to your spouse and said, your child, your daughter, your son, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what, that's what God's saying to Moses. Your people, they're ruining everything. We create an image, we create um, an idol, anything over God. We are ruining everything. You may not see much relevance to this, to this particular commandment, but I think it's very relevant because I think there's a great danger in us having this longing to see and touch and feel. And so I want to invite you this morning to think about what is that image? What is the idol? And that's the hard thing for us because we say, okay, well, we don't want to have an idol. What is the image? What is the idol that you want to tangibly see or feel or touch? And I want you to wrestle with what yours may be. I thought this week, because I know what I'm preaching on, I know what God is kind of saying to me, I thought this week about what is that image for me? What's that tangible thing that, that I see, touch, feel? And I realized it's you. I am your pastor. And I pray for you. I wake up praying for you. I write my sermons, and I think all week long, you know, Al said about you look for an observation. You say, I think about that. I, I, I see a, a conversation that I have, or I go somewhere, and I think about that. And I'm like, how does that address things that we're going through? And I think about you all week long. I, I go to bed praying for those of you who are sick. I, but because you're in my thought, you're, you're the tangible thing for me. And I have to recognize that that becomes an image that I have to be able to not allow you to replace God. As much as I want God to be the first thing in my life, I have to realize that sometimes I allow the congregation, and that's not a reflection of you, it's just the reality of what mine may be. And that's what you want to wrestle with today. I don't know what yours may be. You've got to think about and really wrestle this week with what is that image, that thing that you can physically see that becomes connected to faith. For many of you, let me just give you a few of them. So for many of you, it can be a person. So yours can be the opposite of mine. So mine can be the congregation, yours can be me. So yours can be me, and here's the truth. Any person, me, your spouse, your children, your parent, anything, any person that you connect in that role to will always, listen to me, will always let you down. Do y'all hear me? Any person, me, your spouse, your children, they will always let you down. Good Friday. We were, we took registration. If any of you came on Good Friday, we took registration. We had seat charts. Everything was ready. We walk in here and uh, Diane had made a mistake. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, 
and, and the little numbers were a little bit off and, and Victoria Danzo caught it. And so they were, they were busily trying to do it. And when Diane walked in the door, I didn't say, hey, Diane. I didn't say, I'm so glad you're in worship with us. I jumped on her about her mistake. I had to call her on the way home and say, I am so sorry that I did that because I probably, because I know how Diane is, she probably spent all the whole time on a Good Friday service worried about what the problem was. But, but you see, I, I would let her down. If you put in anybody, that will be the case. I think I told you all this one time before, but it's just too priceless of a story to tell you that uh, Claire and I were at Sam's and we were... Uh, we were buying, we buy ours through an app. And so you go through and you don't have to go through checkout. It automatically purchases it for you. And so we were doing that. We got to the end of the checkout and somehow we had inadvertently left something out of our thing that was in our buggy. And the girl realized that we were trying to leave the store for something we had not paid for. And there was a long line of people that were getting behind us. And all I could think in my head was, please don't let anybody from the church see me. <laughs> And there was Charlotte, right behind us, who comes up and was like, do I need to tell the church you're trying to steal from Sam's? I wasn't, and I paid for it. But, 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 but that's, people, it will always, people, and so people will always let you down. What you have to stop and recognize is what's, what's that person that you've created an image of that takes the place of God and that's what you have to to wrestle with I think for us as a church uh, we have uh, we've gone through a period where this past year we have all learned I, th I think most of us at least have we have all learned that the building at one time could have been that way for many of us that the building becomes that thing that we're able to physically represent and we're able to see and feel and touch God and yet the pandemic has helped us to realize hey Maybe, maybe it's not that, you know, and we have been working and I think that's the importance, uh, Diane's here today, that's the importance of the capital campaign is because what the capital campaign does is it helps us to realize that we don't need to allow a mortgage to be the preoccupying or the main thing of our, of our budget because the building, this, this year we have learned it is not is as significant as it was to us. And so we've got to learn how to better use that. And so we have to be careful of when, when the church becomes that thing, that image that you're able to tangibly touch and feel. Uh, I, I look at it and I'll, and I'll say to you, I'm probably fixing to get in trouble for this. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we have, with politics, I, I love how I see people who are, um, obviously they're more Republican and they will say, I don't know how somebody can be a Christian and follow the democratic principles. And then I have other friends who are democratic and they'll go, I don't know how you can be a follower of Jesus and be Republican. You see, the real is we connect liberalism, conservatism, whatever ism you want to do, we connect that to faith and we don't stop and recognize that God is bigger than Democrat and Republican. Y'all do realize that, right? I mean, you're in a room where there are people who are Democratic who follow Jesus Christ and people who are Republican who follow Jesus Christ. We're bigger 
God is bigger than any of those isms that we might find ourselves in. The Bible is another one that you have to stop and think about. Okay, is, is, has the Bible, is the Bible become this thing for me? Uh, you can have bibliolatry, which is that you begin to think that the Bible is God. The Bible is the Word of God. And y'all know I love, love, love the Bible and I love the Word of God. But I'll have people who will go, wait a minute, you're not supposed to ask a question about the Bible. I had a lady tell me one time, you're not supposed to critique the Bible. And I'm like, I mean, really? I mean, God gave us reason and intellect for a reason to be able to ask questions and to challenge ourselves. And I think it's how you grow to be able to look. I mean, when God wanted to fully show us himself, he didn't come in a book. Y'all know that, right? He came in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how anything, any image, anything that is physical, tangible, that you're physically able to see, that you have to challenge yourself to go, what am I putting as an idol or an image before God? Because what God says is that I give you myself. Listen to how it says, it reads it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. And then look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His home among us. We have seen His glory, glory like that of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. God came to us in Jesus to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Paul's the one who said that the Son is sent so that we can see the invisible God in the Son that is given to us. Go read the Gospels and you see who Jesus is and we learn how we're supposed to live as people of God created in the image of God. I mean, can you imagine a world... Can you imagine a world where every single person lived to represent Jesus to everybody around them? What would it look like? Beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely. You know what it looked like? There would be no more hate. We wouldn't hurt each other. Yes, we wouldn't have to worry about mass shootings or people being killed as they're arrested. None of that. We don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing to, to, to hurt somebody's feelings. We don't have to worry about what somebody's gossiping about me. If we represent. The truth is we are not supposed to, and this is so important, we are not supposed to create an image. We are to be the image. Listen, we're not supposed to create an image. We're supposed to be the image as the church. We're supposed to represent Christ to the world. Somebody called me this week and told me about that they were driving down the road and they saw uh, a woman standing at the end of her driveway or sitting at the end of her driveway crying. 
what would you do? This person, I don't think I would have done this. This person stopped, got out, asked her if she was okay, prayed with her, see what she could do to help. When she told me that story, it just made me like, I'm like, that is the image of Christ coming alongside and helping someone. I think all of us, I think all of us probably in our mind have a picture of a little girl who's number nine running on a soccer field. Coming alongside and somebody coming alongside and saying, you're going to be okay. It's the image of Christ is the reason it's such a powerful image of Christ coming alongside of us. You don't have to carry this image. You don't have to carry this burden. I will carry you. Do not make an image. Challenge yourself. What is your image? And surrender it. Submit it. 